Today, we're going to talk about growing up in small towns. Now, you, you grew up in a really small town. Um, like, how small was it? Could you get good sushi there or <laughs> what? I wouldn't call it a town. It's really a road, a community. We had a community hall. That was the highlight and probably only real business-like infrastructure. And that's where you got your sushi. That's where we got our sushi. Yeah. Like no gas station, no convenience store, certainly no movie theater or grocery store or anything really all that exciting. We had tons. It's a farming community. So we bartered with some of the local farmers. Like we would trade. We used to actually trade our field, the farm field behind our house in exchange for spring water from our neighbor. So they could keep their cattle in our backyard and we could drink their water. You grew up in a a primitive lifestyle, it sounds like. One would say. How how do you feel that your town has shaped you, your community, sorry, it's not an actual town. Um, how, How do you feel that shaped you to become who you are and who you are as a creative person. I used to feel quite bored as a teenager growing up in a community of 80 people and 8,000 livestock. Uh, But I think it, it really encouraged me to develop an imagination because I played a lot of make-believe. We would, like the cows were my buds. I'd go out and pretend I was one of them. Can you can you tell us a story about uh, the time you helped deliver a cow? I can tell you that story. <laughs> uh, so yeah, my neighbor was uh, I think I think it was dairy cattle. Doesn't matter. So he uh, he called our house one day, and one of his cattle was giving birth, and I was lucky enough. I was eight years old, lucky enough to be invited to witness and assist this process. I think it was pretty late at night, too. Like, I remember being kind of tired but excited and went over and pretty gross experience. Like, his arm, Mr. Gilligan, yeah, his arm was shoulder deep inside the cow, helping pull this calf out. Yeah, like, pretty (laughs) wet. Like, that's how how my memory serves is, like, it was kind of wet and gross. But they named the calf Kristen. They named this fresh baby after the the support that they had called it. So, so I felt pretty special about that. So Kristen the cow would be 31 right now. Yes. Yeah. Healthy, happy. Definitely. She will live to be into the hundreds, I expect. Never would we have eaten her. What is the lifespan of a cow? I'm not sure. Do you, do you know not for certain if you ate Kristen the cow? I don't know with certainty. I don't think that's something my parents would have told me had we. What? If you were at dinner one day and your parents made a burger for you and you were, you were just eating it and like, oh my God, this ever tasty. And then your mom piped up and said, Kristen, that's actually Kristen the cow. How would you react as an eight or nine year old? Well... 
I I know with certainty that my parents would not have revealed that detail, but I can say that we too raised animals and I, as a little girl, chopped their heads off and gutted them and ate them. <laughs> so maybe I wouldn't be as scathed as you think. Uh, I didn't name any of our chickens after myself or family members, but certainly was aware that that's what we were eating at the dinner table. But it was normal. I'd be pretty grossed out to do that now, like sliding chicken guts across the table into the garbage bag. But we had this whole system and I just was used to that being this is how we get our food and yeah well that's a totally a normal. very normal thing that a large percentage of the population does and so yeah yeah I, I think just being someone who's never done it <laughs> just thinking of doing it is would be challenging <laughs> like you did your I, like did you did your dad hunt or did you grow no. up seeing any kind of carcass bleeding out in no your... <laughs> there weren't a lot of dead bodies and and you know, animal carcasses. Um, mm. I saw um, when I was when I was young, probably around eight years old as well. Someone started giving swimming lessons at the beach, and it's not too often you get lessons of any sort in small town Cape Breton. So my parents signed me up, and on the on day one, we were in the water and. Uh, Someone came down to the beach and said that one of the fishermen caught a shark. So everyone just left, like quit. We quit on the spot to go, to go see the shark. And uh, the guy who caught it was just pulling teeth out and giving them out to the kids. The shark was dead. He was dead at this yeah. point, yeah. Did they name it Michael? The shark was named uh, Bobby Joe. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't know what his name was, but he, he looked like a Bobby Joe to me. Sounds like a good shark name. But I didn't get a tooth. I can't, it's kind of one of those memories where... You quit swimming lessons and you didn't even get a tooth? I got to see a shark on a boat. Yeah. I think it was worth it. I suppose. Everyone, like, the, the teacher quit. Everyone quit. Like, Jesus, <laughs> a shark. Swimming lessons cease to exist. <laughs> like, I don't even know if we got in the water. Like, we were about to get in the water and then just... Someone announced, like it was just, it was like an announcement to the whole beach. There's a shark on a boat. Get down here. So, uh, yeah, we just took off to go see the shark. Good thing you weren't in the water. Well, there are a lot of sharks in the water. There. The biggest great white ever caught was between uh, Cape Breton and PEI. Hmm. Did you know that? I do, I do now. I know a fair amount of Inverness trivia, actually, having hung around there with you <laughs> for a number of years. Well, like you, I grew up in a... It actually wasn't considered a town either. It was a village. It lost its town status in, I think, uh, maybe the 60s or so. Um, What's I, the difference? You lose it, your mayor? Yeah, and, you don't have a yeah. mayor if you're a village. Yeah, I'm my, sure there's other... My grandfather was the last mayor in town. Hmm. But we, we were a small village of about 1,500 people. And we had a little more than what you had in your... We we never mentioned the name of your town. It's called Clarence. Is it worth mentioning? Well, no, of course it I is. Think I'm it's proud hilarious. of where I'm from, but I don't expect many to be familiar with Clarence, which is in the Annapolis Valley. Uh, that often isn't enough information. So I like to also add that it's between Middleton and Annapolis uh, on the North Mountain. Well, the first time when I met you and was making... Small, small talk, and 
oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from a place called Clarence. And I like, I started to laugh. I'm like, Clarence? Can't be a place called Clarence. You have to be an alcoholic fisherman to be named Clarence. Well, alcoholic fishermen probably make up a lot of the identity of our towns. Yes, yeah, it's, it's true. Not a bad thing either. Not like, a bad that's, thing. No. That's what we, we come from. But in my town of Inverness, which it's a little more bustling in the summer now than it was 20-ish years ago, but yeah, my, my town, we had convenience stores. We had a lot of convenience stores, actually. A lot of local restaurants, but no fast food. Like the nearest Tim Hortons was just under an hour away. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I feel like... Combined with that time in history before cell phones, before the internet, that and just no opportunities other than the ones you created for yourself, that you really had to be forced to use your imagination and to to learn how to to learn how to learn, if that makes sense, because there weren't a lot of op- opportunities to take lessons, like I mentioned, other than swimming for three seconds before the shark was discovered. <laughs> but I I guess there was a guitar lessons in my town, but he just taught me how to tune the guitar and play uh, part of New Orleans' is sinking by the Tragically Hip. But after that, it was just, okay, I got to figure all this out to my own. Um, there's never, like, singing lessons. Not, nothing like that. It just... Small towns back in the the nineties just didn't have those opportunities, and same with my school. I didn't have music lessons in my school. Like I'm a professional musician, but like there's tons of people who 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 took grade eleven music and can read music, and I have zero idea how to read music. I know there's a treble cleft involved, and I have no <laughs> idea what that actually is, but I've written hundreds of songs and Cape Breton's kind of culturally musical is it not or well for sure uh it's not to say that you're born with a banjo in your hand but you're immersed in that or exposed to it as a as a young buck there's a fair bit of Celtic music in Cape Breton and that's in a lot of the surrounding communities. So where I grew up in uh, Inverness, it was, it was always uh, kind of a, a rock and roll community. It had some venues that were historic on the East Coast during the 70s. There's apparently a kind of a little route that bands would take. They'd go to Sydney to play Smooth Hermans. They'd come to Inverness, play the Hoff. Yeah. And come to Halifax, and I forget what it was called then. Maybe it was the Birdland or something. The trifecta. I'm not 100% familiar with the Halifax history back then, but Mm -hmm. uh, guys like Matt Minglewood and Sam Moon, and who were big at that time, made this this, uh, cycle, and Inverness is one of the hotspots. And rock music has always been a big thing there. Like hardly anyone plays the fiddle in, in Inverness. We're we're gonna we're a grunge town, you know. <laughs> You're the Seattle of Nova Scotia, are you? <laughs> Seattle of Inverness County. Yeah. Uh so I when I grew up, there was a band that was a little bit older than me, and one of the members was from Inverness. They were called Our Libido, and I was in grade like nine or ten and they were 
probably in their early 20s and they're like being nominated for awards and went to Japan to play, I think. Uh, I remember that band from high school too. And there aren't a lot of local bands that we would have had access to. So they must have done pretty well. Yeah, they were, they were a great band and and I love them, Look, definitely looked up to them and was inspired by them. Even though I remember we had a career day actually and they came and... Uh, That's incredible. Someone asked uh, what, what advice would they give to a young musician and they said, uh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't pursue mu- yeah. music? Yeah. So I did not listen <laughs> and... Was definitely inspired by seeing them have have some successes on on the scale they did, and again, not not a lot of opportunities to be showcased to a diverse and eclectic um, set of things that you can do. Like in a small town at that time, like here in, in school, you you take math and English and all the subjects that you normally take. And there's nowadays you hear like kids in grade 10 take a yoga class or. Oh, I know. How incredible would that be? We, same as in our school, you had science and history and English. There were no, there was no art class. We did have high school band. So it wasn't, maybe we had music class too. I played alto sax uh, poorly, like everyone else did when they were you 13 can, or 14. You can probably read music better than me then. It's been a lot of years, but we did learn to read music yeah. and played a few horrendous band concerts. But I do distinctly remember feeling part of something. I really liked, you know, if everybody could kind of hit a note in unison, there was something to that that felt really invigorating, even as a, you know, ter- terrible musician collectively. You still got a a little flavor of how good it might feel to when be you get, on. When you get in the groove, yeah, yeah. that's uh that's a a real thing, like you know, everyone's in unison and working together to create this this sound that people can appreciate and enjoy. Yeah. I like how you talked about learning how to learn though because I think having not been exposed to maybe as much culture or resources, information, diversity, all of those things, you sort of had to figure out like how to pursue those things on your own. So you weren't just learning creative things, although that eventually tran- that skill translated to learning creative things. It was just you learned to be observant and work with what you had, resourceful maybe. Um there was a lot of make-believe in the younger years. I, I used to actually play Runaway a lot <laughs> and dream about going to bigger cities. I would pretend I was on a train in New York and, you know, reading the newspaper and all this. And um, yeah, like it just kind of invited a bit more of that exploration because you couldn't see it or do it necessarily in, in real life. You lived in your head. Yeah, well, it's... It definitely, and I don't know if that's just because we're creative people in general. Like, I guess I would have to talk to some more people from small towns. Yeah, who, that's true. Who went on to do other other types of careers. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I feel like just, I remember going to the guidance counselor when I was in grade 12 and 
since I had good grades in school, my I had one option, and I was going to university. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even fathomable to do something other than that. Yeah, same. And not just a musician, but not even like a massage therapist or an interior decorator or a mechanic or any number of fantastic jobs that just were not part of your yeah. menu. And like if you didn't get good grades, you were encouraged to get a trade. Mm-hmm. And now those are the people who have great jobs. And Yeah, these are the emergency phone calls we make. Yeah, they're they're one hundred percent the most vital part of our economy, really. Yeah, and a lot most people I know are who who work in the trade industry love what they do and are happy doing it. And some obviously hard jobs there, but back when I was in high school, it wasn't even an option. It was an option, obviously, but if you they kind of separated into, okay, these are the, I don't want to say smart kids and the not smart kids, but. Yeah, but at was, the time, that that was how we were categorized. It, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. But that was, that's how it felt anyways, or that's how it was perceived as a teenager. Yeah, if, if I decided to go into something 100% legitimate and respected like uh plumbing like the people like why is he going into plumbing because he's he's on the honor roll in Inverness Academy like <laughs> but <laughs> but there's that's nothing in the world wrong with that and now I think I think a lot of things have changed uh, I think guidance counselors know know about a few more jobs these days and can help people find a path that makes the most sense for them did you feel different as a kid growing up in rural Nova Scotia? Like, did you know there was something in you that maybe, like, did you feel different? Did you know that you were a creative person? Or, like, at, at what point in your life did that become clear? And how did you feel about it? Yeah, I've always felt like I like to entertain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I'd been making movies since I was, well, since video cameras were... The Cuban Missile Crisis? Yeah, made uh, a video. The first video I did in school was for a geography project. And the the teacher assigned whatever it was, a 10-page essay. And a group of our, me and my friends said, well, can we just make a movie instead? <laughs> and uh, they're like, sure yeah because in their eyes that's like way more complicated and harder yeah and so we made a just a well we what we thought was a hilarious video and but it was also factual too and give us a quick fact about the cuban missile crisis well the i'm not i'm not there yet okay this was this was another movie i see Um, i think it was uh Supposed to be the the top ten geographical events that shaped Canada in the last one hundred years, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what it was. But I remember the title when we made it said the top one hundred geographical events that shaped Canada in the last ten years. <laughs> I'm like that would just be the most boring video. One hundred <laughs> events in the last ten years. So many. But anyways, we just reenacted like banting and best inventing insulin and um. The collapse of the cod fishery in 
94, 92, whenever that happened in Newfoundland. But we just picked whatever, 10 things that shaped Canada. And we were just acting and having a fun time. And uh, I I loved doing that right away. And I realized after that, every single project, I'm going to try to make a video <laughs> instead. And then you came... You got through high school on videos. Then came the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is still talked about in Iranes to this day. We had, yeah, um, one of our, my classmates, uh, he played Fidel Castro and he needed a cigar, obviously. So we got a hot dog and wrapped it in <laughs> a brown paper bag and he smoked that for like five days straight. Oh, and, oh yeah. He, he couldn't taste for weeks after. I remember rolling up pencil shavings. And smoking those. That would be way worse than a cigarette for you. Yeah, and breadsticks. Remember you used to be able to buy those breadsticks, like Melba Toast, kind of really hard. Anyways, mm. they looked like cigars, so we decided we would light those. I don't know why. Again, this is small town stuff. Yeah, this is <laughs> this goes back to our lesson about creativity. and Yeah, so even things like Teenage Rebellion had to be creative for us. I think it was a necessary thing too. Like, what else were you, you gonna do? Yeah. Like, I've, I'm maybe smoking a hot dog isn't the best thing for you, <laughs> but <laughs> just coming up with those different creative ideas just formed our brains and probably in a slightly different way. Because I remember just when I went to university. Because I was told to go to university, I, I went there and just meeting people from, well, not small towns, people grew up even just in Halifax or Ottawa, wherever, just bigger cities and them being just completely different, like just having so many of these opportunities, like Everyone who played guitar in my residence had guitar lessons for a dozen years and people just, people could swim from taking swimming lessons. They didn't have theirs interrupted from sharks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many opportunities that when you grew up in a, a, a bigger area, but I don't necessarily think that makes you any better at at those particular things, it just makes it you different. I feel like you have to learn. You have to learn in a different way, and you have to know how to use your talents in a different way when you come from a small town. Because if you're told how to do something, or if you have those opportunities, your your mind just probably develops in a slightly different way and, and you end up approaching challenges in a slightly different manner. Yeah, I guess people who grow up in any environment that's different than their peers, they'll never know what their life may have been had it been, had it looked different. But I like to think that being a self-taught artist, which both of us are, that there's there are certainly advantages to learning that way. Part of what I like as a abstract painter is that I don't know all of the rules that I'm probably breaking. And so 
that gives me freedom to experiment in ways that I probably wouldn't even bother to try if I knew the lesson behind it or the formalities yeah. behind it. Like I, I know with certainty that there are materials that I'm using sometimes that I mix together that they would explicitly tell you not to do, uh, you know, just through looking things up or doing my own research. But I I love that I didn't have that barrier to play. Well, I think what it truly develops is feel. Yeah. So that's in music. That's probably one of the biggest things. Like you can come across someone who's technically proficient and can play or sing or do do whatever they do just very proficiently but your ability to just get with a group of people and play and figure out how those sounds mesh together and just understanding what what works as a whole or just it's just completely different like technical abilities is so much different and i think when you learn on your own, you're learning in a different manner, which helps helps promote this this feel thing, which at the end of the day is in music to me that that's all that matters. Yeah, and for you growing up, you wouldn't have even been able to look up a video on YouTube, for example. Like there was Yeah, at that time none of that existed. Yeah. So you were just who how were you influenced then? Just listening to music and trying to play it myself. So just replicate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a guitar in front of me and I'm hearing these sounds and I know if I move my finger to a certain spot it will make a similar sound. Yeah. And just <laughs> Just record the Rick D's top forty and play it back over and over and I over don't think again. we had that. We didn't really have any radio in Cape Breton either, to be honest. <laughs> we got one station with Annie Ganish, CJFX and it was Easily the worst station imaginable. Just adult contemporary mom jams. Well, that might have been the target audience at the time, though. My best friend, my best childhood friend, Elizabeth, growing up, she and I used to, because Rick D's Top 40 was on late at night. I think it went until midnight. And she and I used to get our sleeping bags and pillows and sit in the driver's seat and passenger seat of my parents' minivan and turn the radio on and listen for it was like a two or three hour show um in all types of weather because that was our big entertainment for the week was when this countdown came on yeah that's i had uh columbia house subscription so i still live in a little bit of fear that columbia house is gonna track me down for the 1295 that i still owe them yeah, well, with interest, that's going to be a hefty bill now. It's going to be like 30 bucks. Yeah. Does Columbia have still exist? No. no. Napster Christ. does, though. Yeah, Napster still exists, and they apparently pay the highest royalty rate for uh, streamed music. Hmm. But no They're one, new. I don't think anyone listens to it yeah. on there. But yeah, I I had, a, I started to get a pretty good CD collection. My dad had a bunch of old classic rock tapes, and just listen to them and try to figure out how to replicate those sounds. And that is, again, like you're saying, you're not, you're not being told how to do anything either properly or improperly. Yeah. So there's pros and cons there, 
but what you develop is just completely different if someone taught you. And I guess it's neither better nor worse, but to me, it's it's all about developing that feel, which in any type of art form, I think is the most important thing. I'd say that's one of my favorite things about painting is just working with the paint and the canvas and it's completely about feel. But I I enjoy how that sits within, like looking within and going within and just having that relationship really with what you're creating. It's kind of a you're fully focused but not thinking at all at the same time. So I don't know, maybe every artist to some extent feels that way despite their training, but that's the part I enjoy the most about it. I think, well, when you get into that state, I think that's like the flow state, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's like the ultimate creative zone, which if you can get into that every time you paint, that's amazing. I don't know if I go there every time, but it's part of, it's part of the process to some extent. Yeah. Um, so when you, eventually you did move to the city and yeah. did you... Did you find with more resources or influences or opportunities available that you wanted to learn some of those more technical skills or were you just kind of at that point rooted in your own style? Well, I think it was just nice to have some people to communicate with who could give advice. And because I remember playing a show when first uh, moved to Halifax and our band was half decent, but we were, again, all of us were self-taught, so we weren't, there were a lot of things we could improve on, and uh, te- we, we, we weren't very good at keeping a tempo straight in a song. Like, we would just speed up in the choruses drastically, and then slow down, and a little bit of that is, is always okay, And but we were we were doing it a fair bit. But that was just naturally, if, you, if you're if you not told by anyone ever, like, okay, just try to ease back in your tempo. Keep it solid throughout the song. Like, you don't want to jump up 10 beats per minute in this spot. Like, if you're never told that, like, how are you really going to know it? Um, and I remember playing a show and someone that worked at a bar started making fun of us for... Uh, for that and like are these guys ever hear of a metronome i'm like no what's a metronome yeah <laughs> like give give me give me this information although this guy was a total asshole um but it was like yeah if i'm willing to learn i'm willing to do whatever i have to to learn and we actually went and bought a metronome and then we got really good at uh staying on top of our timing <laughs> but just the coming across different people, different bands who have who who are doing the same thing, and then just chatting about where you're at and trying to learn from them was was a was a really big thing. I did. None of us really were able to just move to the city. Like, oh, I'm gonna go start getting guitar and singing lessons now, just because we couldn't afford to. Uh, but you just come across someone and you see them doing uh something with their voice before they go on stage like they're they're singing scales like what are they doing oh that's called a vocal warm-up oh that sounds cool 
And now I do that like every day, like from someone I met, whatever, 16 years ago. Some of those tools and tricks probably would have been nice to have. So (laughs) it's one thing not to have lessons at your fingertips, but it, it reminds me of, you know, taping off the back of my canvas and uh, a painter's trick is that you use a water bottle and spray the back of your canvas so that it tightens the fiber a little bit more so your paint flows better, at least in my style. So that's not a reflection of the painting itself, but it's a a, a trick that I, you don't know what you don't know that eventually I learned. I found it on YouTube or whatever the case may have been, but... It's those little things that I suppose something more formal could have been useful earlier on. Yeah, well, I feel like nowadays it's so easy to learn things. Like anything in the world you want to learn, you just can go on YouTube and type it in. And that's an amazing resource. And But that's interesting when, in talking about small towns because you, I, I imagine that no matter where you live now, so long as you have access to the internet, it doesn't really matter if they have a a music class at your school or not. I think everything changed with the, with the internet, like society's pretty homogenous now. Like you go anywhere in the world and people generally dress the same and listen to the same music. And it's probably not the the best thing just because like, yeah, there's, the unique identities of places have kind of been been altered in a way, I think, by the internet. And it's a obviously an amazing resource. Like it just teaches people how to build a windmill that powers their house or whatever it may be. But yeah, I feel like we're we're all kind of in competition now to to be, especially with social media, just to to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way. Yeah, it's it's bittersweet in the arts, especially, and you'll be familiar with my so my thesis research I did when I was doing my masters at Acadia. I I interviewed a number of artists to ask them about what I called their thing. So the creative thing within them, that space that you know you're an artist, you know there's something that drives you or fuels you. And we'll talk about more, we'll talk about that more in future episodes. But it reminds me of the research I did in that in the early 50s and 60s, the philosophers I studied, they were from the Frankfurt School in Germany, but they made the observation that in in that era that Uh, The prediction, I should say, that into the future, this homogenous nature would only become worse. And it wasn't in their eyes at the time due to the Internet, although we can certainly see the outcome of that now. But they like fashion is a good example. So if everybody suddenly is wearing bell bottoms, then stores only start selling bell bottoms. So that becomes the only thing available for you to choose from. And your brain starts to think this is what I want. And they use the example of a pop song, that there's a real mathematical equation to what makes a good, quote, good pop song, good being appealing to the masses. And eventually everything kind of starts to sound the same. 
And so it goes back to that bittersweet nature of I know exactly what to do. I know how people want me to show up, how they want me to look. Um, All of these expectations around art. But because we're only exposed to this limited option, we start to crave and demand that very same thing. That's why we have sequels. That's Again, that's why everybody's kind Reboot. of consuming. What is it? Reboots. Reboots. Yeah, all that stuff. So it's interesting that the internet's great in that suddenly if you are in a small town or maybe you can't afford to travel or have the exposure or a fancy studio, that type of thing, it it lends those options to everyone. But now you're competing with everyone as well. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Sam Lightwork. Sarah Ann Mader discovered stillness through meditation and breathwork. She offers both virtual and in-person facilitated sessions that will help guide you towards your own truth and story. She'll guide you home. With a background in human psychology and a committed meditation practice of her own, Sarah delivers a supportive, sweet, and grounding experience to her clients. We've had the beautiful opportunity to experience Sarah's magic, and know you will too. You can follow Sarah on Instagram at Sam Lightwork. Well, yeah, when I when I left home in Cape Breton when I was eighteen, uh, <laughs> the world wasn't like that. <laughs> I remember getting to university and not like any Ganesh is a big town or anything. Like it's. Do they have a mayor? They probably they have a, town? a mayor. Yeah, I think yeah. they are a town, but uh, <laughs> it's like whatever, maybe six thousand people. Who knows? But. Uh, I remember going to university there and just feeling like we where me and my friends were completely unique compared to a lot of other people. And then people from these spots were unique. Like I remember the first week walking around campus and at home you you know everybody, so you're walking around and everyone's like, Hey, how's it going, Bobby? Hey, Hey, Sam, whatever. You're just nodding, saying hello to everyone. And so when I got to university, every person I walk by, I'm kind of waving, saying hello to, and everyone's looking at me like, <laughs> Who's this guy? What's this guy's problem? Hey, oh. how are you? What's going on? <laughs> How's your day? Fuck off. Well, you know? I moved to York University in Toronto, fresh from Clarence. So the culture shock there was pretty dramatic. Talk about fish out of water. Did you have to deliver any cows at York? <laughs> my roommate became was a missing person three days after moving into my dorm room. So that was a quick and, and abrupt... They were never found, right? Never found. Yeah. Not that I know of. Yeah. So that was my intro to the big city. Well, that would be a little unnerving. But did you ever see... So reflecting on that experience, like... Kind of this first introduction to, okay, I may be from a different place. Did you ever see that as a barrier to your success or your dreams? Uh, I've always kind of felt like an underdog in some capacity just because, like, I feel like I'm kind of doing it all on my own. Like, no, that's not true. Like, I have lots of help and support in my life, but just... Being from a small town, even just when you think of Nova Scotia, like we're r- written into so many scripts 
in uh, American TV and movie as kind of the random joke place. Like yes. Nova Scotia is. Nova Scotia is the small town of Canada. But it's like last, even in the last couple of months, it was mentioned on Cobra Kai. Yeah, uh, Billions. Billions. Like this is just shows we watched in the last month. Yeah. And it's always like. A funny thing, like, oh, maybe they're in Nova Scotia, and like the audience, everyone laughs. <gasps> but so, Nova Scotia in general is like this joke place in other people's eyes. Then, within Nova Scotia, I'm from Cape Breton Island, which we kind of are in some people's eyes get, get looked at in that way, like, oh, a bunch of alcoholic rednecks up there, kind of thing. And then within Cape Breton, I'm from just a little town with the the mines that closed uh, sixty or seventy years ago, and not a lot of opportunity. So, and, yeah, and a lot of people who have to just fight for everything they get. So, I've kind of always felt like, yeah, I was just kind of an underdog trying to kind of figure out how to to make things work. And I don't know if that's necessarily accurate, but the mindset kind of helps me persevere sometimes. It's funny when you hear, I, I'm thinking of Sidney Crosby and Avril Lavigne. So I, I can't remember Avril Lavigne's hometown, but they always reference these, I'll call them celebrities, being from these small towns. And I'm like, there's 50,000 people from her from her hometown. Well, Cole Harbor is like huge. Like, well, comparatively yeah. speaking, though, really it is. So. Yeah. But there's almost a sense of pride being able to accomplish what we have, however big or small that may be to others. For us, knowing where we come from, it feels like a pretty big deal that you even try to pursue what we are. Yeah, I I think it's just um this the small town mentality in a lot of lot of ways isn't uh always have big dreams and i think maybe maybe that's just a a mentality in general but most people i've encountered uh just are even taken aback when i tell them yeah i i'm a musician i play shows write songs record songs that's how i try to make my living and to them that's super strange I would say the locals in Inverness, though, are incredibly proud of you. People, people oh, are I, I celebrate your accomplishments. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't want to be from anywhere else in the world. Like every every year, there's someone always gets. <laughs> this is just an example of how supportive the community is. But someone in town always gets cancer every. Every every few months or whatever it is, and the town comes together, throws a benefit dance, and raises twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars for them. Like, mm-hmm. People who don't have money are given a hundred bucks, like yeah. because their father knew the father of this person. Like they're not even close to you, but our town, we know how to come together, and that's when you're from a small place. Yeah, I we didn't have uh we didn't have sushi, we didn't have we didn't have voice lessons, we didn't have those things, but we got your back, you know. Do you remember the first time you tried sushi? Uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, Me uh, too. 
But yeah, I think that a small town is just, I feel like I'm, I'm who I am obviously because of where I grew up and I wouldn't want to change that at all. Like I remember playing sports growing up, like at one point I, when I was really serious about basketball, I, I like, I wonder what it'd be like if I had the opportunity to play in a place where other people took it as serious as me and where yeah, I could go to basketball camps and play against people who were better than me so I could improve just because when you're in a small town and hardly anyone else plays basketball and you're serious about it by the time I was in grade nine I was like okay there's not that I want to sound uh, arrogant or anything but I'm, there's no one else in the town who's really that serious and yeah, you're not being challenged. Yeah, so you, you want to improve by playing against people who are better than you, and that's the same as anything. If you're a carpenter, you want to be an apprentice under someone who's amazing so you can learn from them. Playing guitar, like you want to sit down and watch someone who's better than you. Playing basketball, you want to go against people who are better than you to learn their moves, to learn their mindset. And I didn't have that in, in those ways. But again, back to what we were talking about at the start, we, we learned to learn in a different way. And for me, it was all about feel in my creative creative side of things and maybe just who I am. It's just I don't necessarily want a textbook to learn from. I just need to experience it and see how I react. And that's just kind of been my my go-to I started painting much later in life comparatively to when yeah. you started per being a musician. And I I found living in an urban environment definitely influenced th that step. I think just being able to go to an art gallery, uh, like just having more public art, having public sculpture, uh, meeting other artists and talking to people who were doing this professionally and for a living like that was unheard of i i had never met a professional artist until i left that town and they they felt so untouched they just were like these mirage of people that lived these lives but they certainly weren't people i would ever meet or or know much less become so i i think that for me i appreciated having that exposure later on but like you I'm certainly grateful for the upbringing I had and where that happened because it shaped me as a person who was then able to receive that information in a different way definitely and I think that and we've talked about this before about growing up in frugal households <laughs> have a uh, or has has helped Our cheap dads cheap dads yeah have shaped us to be able to to get by in in the ways that we do like my dad would go to the dump to get uh, lawnmower parts instead of uh, buying a new lawnmower and some people will say that's that's cheap as hell and just go buy the goddamn lawnmower but it's resourceful. It's resourceful. And if you don't do things like that, you have to have enough money to go buy a new lawnmower. And if you don't, and you 
and you're not resourceful, then you just don't mow your lawn. So I took that mindset with, with everything I do. It's just be as resourceful as I possibly can. And I'd say in addition to the resourcefulness too, we saw our dads and our mothers too, but we'll say we watched our dads upgrade the lawnmowers from dump parts. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, that was that was my exposure to creativity. Like that was creatively solving a problem. Yeah. And that was something I saw my parents do constantly. Yeah. So it's the skill set in spending your money wisely, which as an artist is a good skill to have. But it also taught you how to make things out of nothing, really, which is really at the root of creativity, well, is it not? You're, you're making something it. that wasn't there before. That's the essence of it. And the, the dump, I want to bring up a quick little anecdote, has been an important part of both of our lives <laughs> and seeing our, our dads be, be uh, able to be creative beings from dump scraps. But a, f- a funny story was that when Kristen was in politics, uh, everyone you come across always has something, this one issue that they want to focus on. It's like, oh, you, you, uh, the environment needs, needs work on. You got to go tell your bosses. You got to fix the environment here in Nova Scotia. Or uh, minimum wage is their big thing. Well, we went, uh, we went to the valley to see Kristen's family and we're talking to her dad just after she started this job and he's like, you know what? You used to be able to go into the dump and take out whatever you wanted and they just changed the goddamn rule. You got to go to the premier of the province and tell him he's got to change this back. Like we got to be able to go into the dump and get our stuff. This was the wishless item. This was his, 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 Biggest issue was the that you could no longer go into the dump. Like this, this rule was passed in the last few years that you can no longer get things out of the dump. <laughs> and we kind of laughed it off and whatever. We then we went to my house. It was around Christmas. We went there the next week, and we sit down. And my dad's like, "You know what? You used to be able to go into the dump and take out whatever the <laughs> hell you wanted. Now you can't anymore. What the hell's with this?" So both their dads' <laughs> biggest issues, independently, without speaking to the other, was the fact that you can no longer obtain scraps and junk from the dump. Yeah, raise your hands. Raise your hand if your dad is angry <laughs> about new dump legislation. And that law has never been changed back, I don't think. I don't think so. I imagine this wasn't one of my files, but I imagine it was due to safety precautions yeah, somebody had a lawnmower fall on their leg or something and that was the end of scrap picking well we growing up in a small town we used to just go to the dump every once Play in a while in the dump. like honestly we go and some there's like the metal section and sometimes you just see whatever an old fridge or something and you just start throwing rocks at it or you just find, oh, look, there's a, a gum rack from a convenience store. So we took that and used it as a, a gun rack in my friend's basement. Mm. Like we would go for hours a day to the dump and just <laughs> hang out and smash but stuff. What I love about that and, and love growing up in a small town was that everybody did that stuff. It yeah. was the same at the time with fashion. So we shopped at Frenchie, secondhand shopping, but 
everybody did. So it was cool. Like you didn't feel like you were an outcast if you were wearing hand-me-downs because it was a two-hour drive to the city to go to the mall. Like maybe back to school shopping, you did that. And maybe at Christmas, you'd get like a brand name, something or other. Like that was your big deal gift at the time. We used to, uh, once a year, we'd go to... We'd go to Sydney, maybe twice a year. Sometimes we'd go for Christmas. Other times we just had to stop shop at the convenience stores <laughs> in town. But or the uh, dump. The dump, yeah, get a good lawnmower blade. We should for do Christmas. a count for how many times we say dump in this episode. <laughs> Take a drink every time we've said dump. New drinking game. Do people even know what dumps are? Like Is, is this... there a more appropriate name or well, probably like waste landfill? La- waste facility. Waste facility. A dump is a giant hole in the ground with just discarded. Garbage. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the metal section, which I referenced <laughs> earlier. There's fridges and lawnmower parts. And uh, yeah, just you can get good bikes at the dump too. Like mm-hmm. I always got bike parts there. Mm-hmm. So we we might get the two trips a year. One trip, I was happy, happy with that. And... One year, we went to, I was in grade eight, going into grade nine, and my brother David was going off to his first year university. So we went to Sydney, mainly to get David stuff for university. We would, I would just get the hand-me-downs, like you said. Mm. And David got a whole bunch of stuff, like just new sneakers, new pants. Like, definitely my parents broke the bank, like probably put it on a credit card and we, uh, dad never really liked shopping too much. He was just cranky and wanted to get home the whole time. And but he was in charge of holding the, the bags after we bought something. And eventually at the end of the night, we went in the last store and dad's like, let's get the hell out of here. So we drive back to two hours to Inverness and we get in, dad pours a cup of tea and he's just sitting there watching sports, you know, happy to be home and not in the goddamn mall. And uh, David's looking through his stuff. He's like, where where are my sneakers? Like, where where are the jeans I got? And I I was sitting beside Dad, and he had the cup of tea and the mug of tea in his hand. And I see his, the wheels in his brain start going. And he realizes that when he was sitting out on the bench with all the stuff, being cranky Cape Bretoner, and we... Uh, we got up to leave. He left no. a whole section of bags. Not all of them. Like we, we had some, but he left all the bags he was watching. And he had this mug of tea in his hand and he squeezed it so hard. He crushed the mug. <sighs> I've been trying to crush a mug my whole life ever <laughs> since I saw that. You've he, never reached that level of anger before. <laughs> anger or strength or whatever. But... He crushed the mug and then the tea spilled, hot tea spilled on him and his hand started bleeding. Oh. And then I like ran upstairs. Like, I don't want to have anything yeah. to do with this. And then the next morning, dad left at, I think, five o'clock, drove to Sydney, came back, had every bag with him. I don't know where he got, how oh, he got God. it, where he found it, but. Uh, it was never spoken about no, again. He got he got every bit of it back, like. Definitely didn't rebuy it. Like, wasn't going to do that. He was going to somehow. <laughs> Grab somebody's throat. I don't know if he got a 
PI in Sydney or what what the deal was, but he got every bag back and incredible. That's uh, dads do these magic things sometimes for us. Yeah, and I'm sure if we uh, had more money, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But he was going to drive four hours that day to figure out how to get it, and he yeah. did get it. So. That's a, a small town resourcefulness, I guess, at its at its peak. Did your so you have two brothers, one older, well, both older. Sorry, did did the three of you ever jam together, or were they an influence at all in your creative life? Uh, no, they never played music. I guess my brother Timmy played a little bit of a uh, little bit of guitar, but they weren't. He wasn't serious about it, and. Yeah, there was no music in my house or family, really. Um, your friends played in your band. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, lots of people in my grade and just, yeah, in my school played. And I think I remember playing a variety show and there being like a dozen bands like in a small community. That's with impressive. Like a couple hundred people in your school and you got... 10 or so bands like there's so many people played music and this was coming up i guess in and after the the grunge scene a lot of people were influenced by that i think yeah i remember the grade nine and ten boys buying their first fender fender guitar when pearl jam and smashing pumpkins and all those yeah yeah, 90s bands were music was a big deal then i i miss actually those days of like we would we would pay 20 or $25 for a CD first and foremost, which was like yeah. a month's allowance. And you would, we would drive to the closest mall, which was, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour away, not, not into Halifax, but they had a music store there. And we would wait in line until they rolled up the gates of the store just to get this album on release day. And you would play it just to nauseum yeah. in your car and so you would know every lyric, you would know what song came next, you would know all of the musicians' names, like you knew the bass player's name as much as you did the lead singer's name and where <laughs> they were from. And it was just such a part of our entertainment, I, I guess. And it's nice to have music at your fingertips in the way that we do now, but the intimacy isn't there anymore, at least not in that way. Yeah, well, we're we're subject to... You can find what you like so easy and you can, people make playlists off, even we do it, we have playlists of songs we love and if we ask each other, who actually sings that song? We yeah. might not even know. Like Heard we, it 20, 200 it, times. Yeah, you hear it in a a show we're watching, you shazam it like, and then add it to a playlist and you listen to it all the time and you know the words and you're like, who is this actually? Like, Yeah. I... I feel bad about that because I am a musician and I want people to look into me and know who I am and what I'm doing. Yeah, I guess that's on us to pay more attention, but you're absolutely right. That's that's my way of consuming as well. Yeah, it's and I don't know if it's necessarily just a, was a small town thing, like obviously driving a distance to get to a place that actually sold music and all that is is definitely a small town thing but i think it's almost a generational thing too like yeah we just 
for sure. Back then, it was music was definitely consumed in a completely different way. So we now live in Upper Tantallon, which I would say is more rural than urban, but it's certainly not a small town like we grew up in. So we're kind of halfway. Would you agree? Yeah, well, I still we're still so close to Halifax, so that it's yeah. we we're have part of HRM. Yeah, we have a city at our disposal. Yeah, do you like at this point in our lives? Do you imagine yourself going back to something more secluded and more rural, or the other way around? Would you prefer to be like in the thick of LA or New York? Or? I like them both, actually. Like yeah. I. I love kind of just grand things and I I like being like in Cape Breton. I like being able to look out at the water that goes on forever or look at the, the hills and the Kappa trail that just, you can, you can look at the vastness off. And I also love New York, like looking at the vastness of the, the city and I find them both inspiring, but in different ways. It's just, it's kind of nice to be able to just blend in and be, just be a part of the sea of people in a place like New York. But also, if you got cancer and needed a benefit show, like yeah. <laughs> you live in a small town where everyone's got your back, it's... Like, I just like them both, to be mm-hmm. honest, and there there's pros and cons to both, but there's no there's no place like your home where people care about you in a, a way that can't ever really be captured in a, a bigger place. Like the small town closeness and just I can think just sense of home, like I think it's it's just a really strong thing that if you're from a small town, grew up that way, that I think never really leaves you. Well, your last album was really a tribute to that feeling. It was called Home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, about people that influence you and the people who are there for you and the experiences you have and that we talked about in this conversation, like... Sort of a generational thing, but also a small town thing. Like in the the late 90s, early 2000s was a very different time than now. But it's uh, it shaped us to be who we are. And yeah, I definitely look back at it with nostalgia now. And doesn't mean it was a better time. Maybe, maybe. But mm. I definitely feel feel that that time in our lives and that the way the world was then was just something that uh, people even now who haven't experienced it, younger people maybe could kind of look at it and think that's, that's interesting. (laughs) Like think of people who have the internet now and music at their fingertips and you tell them stories about the old days where you, you had to go drive to a mm-hmm. mall and and walk in and buy a physical CD just to hear it. Our generation is interesting in that way, though, because we grew up without internet, but we were young enough when it was introduced to understand it maybe better than 
our parents and grandparents' generation. So we're, we're sort of this unique niche age group of having half and half of that be part of our life. It's really, yeah. it's really cool, actually. And I think about one of the questions I'm asked most often as a painter is how long it takes me to make a painting. People are really interested in that. So I certainly like talking about my process and it's a valid question, but it's tricky to answer because, I mean, I can set a timer and give a more accurate like X number of hours and minutes, but it really, going back to that conversation about how it feels, like it it really is a lifetime of what goes into that. It's because it's mm-hmm. such an extension of who you are and where you come from. And again, we'll never know what may might have been had we grown up elsewhere, rural or not. But I I appreciate knowing that it it doesn't matter because where I come from has shaped what ultimately lands on a canvas. And that's just such a a great story that anybody can have. Yeah, we're the sum of our influences and again growing up in a in small towns, our influences were the people around us, the the cows that you birthed, the <laughs> the all the little stories that make us who we are is what creates the art that we create now. I think it gives us a sense of grit and resilience as well. Not only being frugal, like we talked about, but <laughs> when you were talking about birthing the cow, I remembered another cow story. Shock. I was 15 and rode the bus to school and the bus driver was dropping me off and had to stop a little bit before my house because there were was a herd of cattle loose all over our front yard, all through the road, like going up the mountain. My parents weren't home. The neighbor wasn't home who owned the cattle and was the farmer. So here I was like, you know, what's worse than being 15 as far as worrying about what your peers thought? So I'm getting off the bus, like faces pressed against the glass. I was so embarrassed. And took like a couple of hours of trying to herd these cattle off of the lawn. They were digging it all up. And I remember one got spooked and fell and skinned its knee. And I was directing traffic so as it you, came through. you doing this by yourself? Totally by myself. I ran inside and tried to call. My parents worked an hour away at that time. So I, I called them, but they were at best two hours before they would be home. And there were no cell phones or, you yeah. know, it was just like, dialing rotary phone like trying to get a hold of a farmer in the community so but in the meantime these cows are hog wild out in the road and but so like that was obviously an embarrassing moment as a teenager Kristen the cow would have been seven Kristen the cow was out tearing around causing hell as she should taken after her inspiration there (laughs) (laughs) but I now I, I love that that happened I love that I can tell that story and that like that was kind of a a unique experience that I had, and that that uniqueness in history, you, you can't help but that be part of who you are and ultimately what you create and yeah. express. Well, I think that's a good good way to end this. You know, yeah, you saved the town of or the 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 street. What have we come to call Clarence? Uh, 
community. Community. Like you saved the community of Clarence that day. At that moment. From a herd of. I felt like a hero. Wild cow. And I was like Yellowstone in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, folks, we'll be back soon. Hope you hope you're having an awesome day. Much love from us to you. What do they say? Give us a rating on uh, iTunes. Yeah, reviews are always helpful. Uh, our book, we can talk about our book that we have out there that talks about, it's travel and love stories, but we do talk about our small town. Yeah. A little bit of small town uh, reference in some of those stories. So yeah, yeah, mikeandkristen.ca, you can find that. So yeah, give us a review on iTunes if you like the conversation. Check out our website, grab a copy of our book if you want. And just uh, tell tell your buds about this. We want to get the word out there so people know about this. We're going to keep doing this conversation weekly for for eternity till Kristen the cow is 97 herself. Yeah. And we'll, we'll just say dump, dump, dump in case anybody wants to get nice Three and shots. liquored up here to close yeah. things off. So uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back soon. Cheers. Cheers.